Cool Harvest. Today is our 16th Sunday in the book of Colossians. Uh, that's some four months, actually spanning into five months of time. I trust that the Lord has been using this uh, letter to the Colossians in your life. We only have one more Sunday after today. Next Sunday is our last day in the book of Colossians. After that, then on Father's Day, we're going to start diving into the gospel of Mark. And uh, Mark is like the Indiana Jones gospel of the Bible. It's just action, action, action. It's just awesome. And uh, we're going to be looking into that, spending through the rest of the year in the gospel of Mark. Be amazed at Jesus Christ will be seeing there. Well, we're in Colossians. Turn to chapter three in your Bibles. I trust you bring your Bible. If you forgot yours today or don't have one, there's some in the back of the seats there in the book holder, page 984. We're in chapter three. Here's how today is going to go. Kind of two parts to it. First part, I'm going to kind of step in. We're going to step into the text that we have at hand. I'm going to be kind of stepping into your lives on it. And then we're going to, uh, uh, at least halfway through a little more than that, we're going to kind of take a step back and see the whole chapter uh, chapter three in that with some things I think are just really important to uh, re-highlight again before we finish up this book. Uh, let me remind you, just summary of the three chapters. Chapters one, two, and three. Isn't that not deep? Chapters one, two, and three. Okay. You with me? Okay. Chapters one, two, and three. Here we go. It's know it, think it, live it. What is it? Okay, chapter one is know it. Basically, it comes and it says, listen, this is who Jesus Christ is. He is preeminently above all things. He is supreme. He's the one who created all things. You can see in verse 15 and following in chapter one, it just lays out. He created all things. All things are for him. All things are by him. Everything, just magnificence of Jesus Christ and know him supreme. Chapter two is think it. In other words, just don't know some data about Jesus, but process it, think it. As we do life and as we think this stuff through, it should be happening in our thinking all the time. Jesus Christ is supreme. And really in chapter 2, Paul emphasizes this thing of don't be hoodwinked into thinking anything different than Jesus supreme. Uh, don't be thinking anything less than that. Don't be thinking anything else from that. He is supreme. He is the one. Think that. Now, chapter 3 drives home the reality that the Christian life is not just about knowing some data and processing data. It doesn't just stay up in here. It's not just knowing and thinking, but the Christian life is about living it, living it out in our life. And that's what chapter 3 is so laying out here. And we're going to be spending, uh, as you know, our time here in chapter 3 today. On the whole of this, here's what's been happening. Paul has been pressing into believers this question. Is Jesus Christ prominent in your life or preeminent in your life? There's a vast difference. The definition for prominent is something that has importance. It's something that's noticeable. I like this in the definition. Prominent means notable. I mean, if I were to say what's notable in your life, you would actually talk about a number of things. Well, I am married. I have children. This is what my job is. This is what we do. This is where we live. There's some other notable things in life. That's what prominent is, something that's prominent. But you can have a whole lot of things prominent in your life. Preeminent is altogether different. The definition for preeminent is that which has paramount rank and importance. That which surpasses all others and is before all others. Now that's a different question. So I ask, 
which defines you. Let me ask it this way, this last week. Seriously. Between you and the Lord, this last week. In your thinking about life and in life. Was Jesus Christ notable? Or was he paramountly supreme and above all else? There's a vast difference. And let me ask with that as well. In your living, was Jesus Christ notable in your living? Or was he paramountly, preeminently supreme in your living? Vast difference. We're not talking about being perfect people. But here's the question. Are you pursuing after him being prominent or preeminent? Which are you pursuing after? Lord, I I just pause here for a moment and I just um, ask that you would help us to see you preeminent. I think the fact of the matter is everyone in this room, we have a tendency towards being okay with you being notable with you having a place of prominence. But God, when the question is laid in the table that Paul has been pressing into the believers in Colossae, this issue of, no, 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 is Jesus Christ preeminent? God, that's where we get uncomfortable. Lord, putting you preeminent is not impossible. You're not asking us to be perfect, but you are asking us to pursue you with a tenacity. So Lord, I pray as we spend our time here in this text and closing out chapter three, that it would just renew a vigor in us to want to know you in a radical kind of a way, above and beyond. Help us to see that, taste that, and pursue that with a tenacity. In the supreme name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let me pick up chapter 3. Let me actually begin reading in verse 18. Verse 18. Verse 18, chapter 3. Wives, it says, wives, hupotasso to your husbands if you're here. Remember that? Hupotasso, it means to yield. Uh, The term was uh, you first. Wives, be you first with your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, Agape your wives. Agape, uh, a love, but it has the sense of a sacrificial love. It is, as we talked about in Ephesians chapter 5, it is a betraying myself love. In other words, I betray myself for her kind of love, like Jesus walked down the Via Della Rosa to the cross. That kind of love, husbands. Love your wives like that, and don't be harsh with them. Verse 20, children, teens, tweens, kids. Obey your parents in everything. That's a lot of things, isn't it? Everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, dads, parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The other week we took that over with Ephesians 5 and built that out. And here we are in verse 22 uh, through uh, 4.1, our text for today. Bond servants. The word is doulos. It's... It's actually, in some of your translations, it says slaves. Some translation says servants, but honestly, that's a kind of watering it down. 
slaves, bond servants, obey in everything those who are those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Well, verses 22 to 41 uh, actually have some very interesting possibilities on where we could go with this text, okay? Um, As you read about it, maybe you've heard this text taught before, but as you go through this, teaching on this text often ventures into areas of like political discussions, things like racism and past or present social injustices. And it makes sense because the terminology has terminology of slaves and masters in it. And the terms of slaves and masters for us, it jars a historical sensitive nerve in us. And I'm glad it does. It jars us. It makes us uncomfortable here. But what oftentimes ends up happening is we we have a tendency, especially in American Christianity, we have a tendency to to seek to make it the uncomfortable comfortable for us. To kind of to to for me right now to take this and and to tell you that that what's really being addressed here is more the domestic servant slave, which is true, but I want to leave it where it's at right now. And the reason for that is because we have a tendency to when the scripture gets into these territories, we want to quickly move out of it. We want to quickly explain it away so that it can become palatable and comfortable to us. It's almost like I'm not going to hear God, see God, consider God if I can't see him in a comfortable, palatable kind of a way. So oftentimes what ends up happening is this text goes very quickly to the employer-employee relationship and lays out some things about that, of which I'm going to do here in a little bit. But I'm actually going to leave it uncomfortable here for a little bit. Questions. Would the Lord still be good and sovereign? If we in this room, if you in his sovereignty were allowed to become a slave. Would God still be good and sovereign if for whatever reason he allowed any of us to become a slave? And I mean a slave slave. Would God still be good and sovereign? Or would that cross the line and no, God is no longer good and sovereign because he would not allow that to happen to me? Is God good and sovereign for having allowed Christians in past history to be slaves? By the way, do not forget this. Is God good and sovereign today in the fact that there are Christians in our world that are slave slaves? 
This gets uncomfortable, doesn't it? Another question. If a believer were a slave, and I mean a slave slave, would this text still apply? In other words, slaves obey your masters. Would it still apply? If if there was the horrific life situation like that, does that make what's said here null and void? In other words, (laughs) I got ripped off. I'm now a slave. And I don't have to obey my master because God knows he would never want me to be in this setting. I'm going to leave it uncomfortable here. Because these are the kinds of questions that cause us, that force us to ask the question, who is God really in my mind? Is God my genie God? Where I come to him and, and he brings me wealth and prosperity and health and I never have problems, I never have struggles, I never have trials. Is that who God is? Or is God something quite different than that? Let me give you three inputs on this, okay? I'm not going to spend all my time here because uh, you may stone me. Uh, but let me uh, pause in this for a minute. So three comments, three inputs on the whole slavery, social injustice issue. Number one. Follower of Christ, know this. This world is not our home. I need to say that again. Redeemed one in Jesus Christ. This world is not our home. It's not. At this time in God's whole redemptive history story, The reality is that we live in a sin-cursed world where things like slavery and social injustices happen. Slavery happens in a sin-cursed world with sin-cursed people. Social injustices happen in a sin-cursed world with sin-cursed people. And by the way, please understand me. I am not saying all of this like, well, you know, that's just the world we live in. Throw your hands up, no big deal. I'm not saying that at all. I'm coming in and trying to see this theologically rightly as Scripture talks about it. But far too many followers of Christ are stuck in the confusion as to why bad things, sinful things happen in this world. You hear all the time, I don't get it. Why do bad things happen? And I think if you've been around here for a while, you've heard me answer that. That is so the wrong question. That question is easy to answer because of sin. We live in a sin-cursed world. That's the fact. And the, re- and the right question is actually, why does anything good ever happen in a sin-cursed world? And there is an answer to that. The only reason anything good ever happens, and this earth and everything on it does not implode in utter sin and hell, is because God in his grace is holding back sin from completely imploding us all in. But know this, there will come a day the Bible talks about, and we'll be talking next year in Revelation, where the Lord will step back and it will implode. Listen, 
If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, this is not our home. The Bible talks we're aliens here. Okay? I mean, that's the reality of it. And this world does not, cannot, will never provide what you are yearning for. It will always disappoint. It will always disappoint. And we put our desire for people to be able to satisfy what we're yearning for. And it's so unfair because they can never do that. Nor can your job. Nor can anything. Except for Jesus Christ. Listen, we live in a sin-cursed world. This is not our home. We live by a different set of standards. We live by a different set of standards that this world doesn't accept. And we're to live set apart. as something completely new and different in this world. This is not our home. Secondly, I just want to say that Scripture never condones the institution of slavery. Scripture never condones injustices. Never. I want to note here, because I don't think in our cultural understanding, we get what Paul is saying here and the implications of it. In chapter 3 here, where Paul is talking in 22, verse 22 and following about bond servants, about slaves, he is actually talking and addressing them unlike anybody in the day would have addressed them. He is talking to them as humans. He is talking to them as humans that can have a living relationship with the creator of the world. He he is talking to slaves that in the day were viewed as animated machines. You know, you've heard me say, I love the movie Gladiator. And in that, oftentimes, one of the things I love about that is I'm so struck and stunned by the fact of how they can just view people as like a dog that they live and they die. And who cares? Because that's the way it was. If you were a slave, you were not even a human. And yet Paul is talking to them as humans who can bring glory to God. We don't understand how absolutely radical chapter 3 in his conversation is. is. Also, additionally with that, he gives them a command. By the way, well, you think slaves always get commands. No, no, no. But he's giving them a command on how to do life before the glorious creator God. That whole statement of giving a command to someone is giving them personhood. It is assigning to them the reality that they have a self-respect, if you will. Live this way under the Lord. Paul is saying some things that are unlike anybody in his day. It was radical. And I want for you to know that from beginning to end of the Bible, Scripture never condones slavery. But hear me on this, because this is critical. Instead of condoning slavery, which scripture does not, scripture does instruct the believer how to live if they are a slave. Do you see, when I just said, this is not our home. God doesn't, God God is looking at this as, as the person who is a slave. That's not the central issue. 
This is a sin-cursed world where that kind of stuff happens. And if in God's sovereignty, that's the setting and the situation that you're in, live this way. Because our life here is a dot in the reality of eternity. And God understands that. And if it's like for the 50 years or 70 years or 80 years, you or I were to live as literally a slave, we're to bring glory to God in it. And our life here is but a dot in the reality of the line of eternity. Do you see how the Bible and how God just sees things so differently than you and I do? We love this place. And Paul's trying to pull us out of it. Think eternity. Don't have, as Paul Tripp says, don't have eternal amnesia. This is not our home. This is not all there is. Don't get caught up in it because we're going to be out of here. We live in a sin-cursed world. Bad things happen. This is not our home. God is sovereign and good. And we do not live for the dot of the here and now. We're to live for eternity. Okay, Doug, I got it. Can we change the channel? Because you're making me uncomfortable. Okay, let's do. Change the channel. Channel to employees and employers. Are, are there some things from this text, some things from this text that we can learn as employees and employers in our cultural reality that we have today? Yes, three things. Here we go. One, Christian employees... Christian employees, whatever your job is, work hard. Work hard. You should be, as a follower of Christ in your work, one of the people that wants to do the best job possible above all others. Not a comparative way, but for God's glory. You know, we live in a world that promotes laziness and applauds laziness. Hey, not God's people. It should not be that way. In fact, I'm just going to tell you, back in the day when I had a business, some of the laziest employees that worked under me were Christians. And I got rid of them. Because they knew that they were working for a Christian company and they thought as a Christian that they could live like the rest of the world. No. Work hard. Work hard. The text clearly says it. Everything that you do, work hard. And you work hard because it's for the Lord. Work hard for the Lord. You are serving Jesus Christ, not your boss. And you're not serving you. But Doug, I have to have money to be able to... I get it. And that's fantastic. Absolutely. That's the way God's put it up. Uh, You need to work as you can to be able to care for some of those kinds of things. But know this. Ultimately, you are working for the Lord. And I want to say say it such that you understand that your work matters. Your work is not just a here and now thing. Christian, your work literally matters today to Jesus Christ. He is interested in seeing how you work out your salvation at your work as a good employee. And whether in your work... You are a stay-at-home mom or dad or whether you are working for an employer or whether your job right now is a student or whether your job right now is looking for a job. Work hard at it. 
for the Lord. And you work hard for the Lord's eternal compensation. You see this in the text. It's so mind-blowing in here. And again, we don't get it. Here he's talking to slaves. And in the whole reality of it, in verse 24, he says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance. Do you realize that slaves in the day did not ever get any kind of inheritance? Ever. And here in the text, Paul is saying, listen, slaves, work hard here. Work for the Lord knowing this. There is going to be an eternal compensation for you. Bam! Someone who would never have anything in their entire life here on earth is knowing this. For all of eternity, I am going to have an eternal compensation. Live for that. And what's happening now is such, just a, such a small thing in the reality of all that. Christian employees work hard for the Lord's eternal compensation. By the way, a note Christian employers and Christian leaders. I'll just simply say it this way. Chapter 4, verse 1. Lead and treat your employees justly and fairly. Justly and fairly. By the way, that's not the way the world generally does it. But Christian employers are. We're to be just and fair because we understand it's an eternal reality. It's not the here and now. Do you need to make a profit? Absolutely you do. That's critical and that's important. But know that you are serving the master. And Christian leaders and employers, be careful. Be careful. Be careful to remember at the end of verse 1, chapter 4, you are not the master. Jesus Christ is. And I just want to third say to everybody in all of this, there are no lower thans. And there are no better thans in God's kingdom structure. We we tend to put people in spots. Well, I'm a president and I own a company. I just work at a factory. I want to let you know this. Jesus does not view it that way. That's not how God sees things. In fact, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nor free. We are all heirs in Christ together. In fact, chapter 3, verse 11, it says, here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Everyone is the same at the foot of the cross, whether you are a billionaire or whether you are on welfare. Same at the foot of the cross. Same at the foot of the cross. Same at the foot of the cross. We need to keep that in mind. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. Don't worry about it. God will take care of it, you guys. For with the Lord, there is no partiality. He's going to take care of it. And by the way, know this. Christian, if you're a lazy dog at work, even though you're his child, God's not happy. And he's going to make sure. And he's going to take care of it. 
Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Those are some hard words. Those are some heavy words. And I realize I've just kind of stepped in your life, maybe stepped on your heart, or maybe you're like, Doug, you've just stepped on my face. I just want for you to know we have an incredible opportunity here living on this earth at this point in time to be unlike anyone else for the glory of Christ. Be that, be that. Now, let me do this. I want to step back. I want to have a step back in light of that and kind of look at all of chapter three, okay? All of chapter three. Now, you have in your notes there, I want to talk about there's a process that's happening in chapter three. Um, One of the things we've been talking about is knowing it, thinking it, and living it. We've talked about in the living it. We've talked about as in marriage. We've talked about in parenting. We've talked about it in work and career, if you will. And in this living it, knowing it, thinking it thing, I think many people, many believers understand the knowing it and the thinking it. I'm to understand who God is through his word and, and then I'm to process that on through. But what I've been observing over the years is that when it comes to the living, it is the part where we go, uh, how are we supposed to live the Christian life? And I can't leave chapter three without coming back and trying to put the whole of it together because friends, I think chapter three has laid out exactly what walking with Christ looks like. And so I just want to summarize it back up here. And here's what I want to do. I want to start with a picture of a tree. And so if in your notes on that uh, living it process part, you want to draw a tree, you're welcome to do that. And I want to walk this chapter three through with you on this tree. Chapter three, verse one. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your savior, when you receive Jesus Christ as your savior, something magnificent happens. Chapter 3, verse 1 says that you are given a whole new identity and a whole new position. Imagine that. Whatever your identity has been before Christ, you have a whole new identity in Christ. From the Bible's perspective, the Bible talks about that before Christ, my identity before God was I was a sinner before God. In fact, the Bible uses the heavy-duty terminology saying, I was an enemy of God because of sin. I was an enemy, and the Bible also says, I was separated from God. My identity was an enemy of God, and my position was separated from God. But the point in time when I came to understand that Jesus Christ had died for my sin, and as the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, my identity of being an enemy and my position of being separated has now come to the place where chapter 3, verse 1, it says, I I have been raised with Christ. That's my identity. Who are you, Doug? I'm a raised with Christ one. Can you believe that? And not only is that my identity, but my position in verse one says where Christ is. I am now with Christ. Redeemed. My identity and my position has changed. Chapter three, verse one. But not only in that, the verse chapter one also talks about a whole new orientation. And it makes sense. If this used to be my uh, position and identity, I will tell you what my orientation was. Life was all about me. It was all about me. Whatever pleased me, whatever I wanted to do, hey, do it. Go for it. 
Big deal. But now that I have my identity and position in Christ, that doesn't make sense anymore. My whole, I used to have a whole new orientation. Verse 1, it says, set your mind on things above. Seek that which is eternal. That's to be our new orientation. We have a new identity, a new position, and a whole new orientation in Christ. Now, I will note this. All of that is kind of a concept reality. Uh, you don't necessarily see that, but it's a concept reality. But when we get down in the text from verses 5 through 14, the text talked about a few weeks ago, we went through this, talks about put off, put on. In other words, because I have a new identity and a new position, and I'm given a new orientation, that new orientation means I'm to put off unchrist-like things, and there's a whole list there. Things like sexual morality, impurity, things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from my mouth. I'm to put off those kinds of things now that I am identified in position. My orientation says, put it off, but as we talked about, listen, put some clothes on, man. Don't do naked Christianity. Don't just do about what you don't do. Replace that put on. And the text told us those kinds of things. Put on kindness and compassion and humility and love. When a person comes to Christ, this happens. Man, it's beautiful. And that new orientation means I'm to put off and I'm to put on. The put off, put on, those are the things that show. Instead of being angry, I'm now to show kindness and compassion. That shows. In Ephesians, it talks about when is the thief no longer a thief? Well, put off when he no longer thieves but also when he gives, that's the put on. You see those things. But there's one other question in this. What is the thing that helps me drive me to be able to show that? Oh, that was verses 14, 15, and 16. Again, I'm trying to put this whole chapter in big picture for us. Verses 14, 15, and 16 tell us about three lets. Do you remember when we talked about let? Let, let means uh, to allow something, to, um, to allow something to empower. To, to let something means not to prevent it, but to permit it. I like this. Definition of let means license. That means you license something. I'm licensing three things to happen in my life. What are they? Well, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule. Let the peace of Christ rule. Well, what is the peace of Christ in my life? Well, the peace of Christ is all of this right here. In other words, having been separated, an enemy from God, uh, in destruction, I am now redeemed, I am now brought in identity with Christ, a whole new relationship, a whole new orientation. I have peace with God. How sweet is that? Peace with God. Peace with the Godhead where once I was an enemy. Hey, listen, let that fact rule in you. The peace of God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have peace with the Godhead. Let that rule, let that rule. And then the next thing as it talks about is it says, let the word of Christ dwell. Verse 15. Let the word of Christ dwell. I'm sorry, verse 16. Well, how do I let the word of Christ? What is the word of Christ? Uh, This is the word of Christ. 
Karen and I, when we were dating, we dated four years before we were married. And uh, Karen was going to college in Michigan. I was at that time college in uh, University of Minnesota. And we wrote letters, a lot of letters. We still have those letters. Aw. Uh, we still have those letters. Um, we didn't see each other physically very often. But I learned so much about her and her so much about me by the letters that were written. And I read her letters again and again and again and again. And the Lord God has written a letter to you and I telling us all about who he is. And even though we can't see him physically right here, he has written a letter that tells everything that you and I need to know about him and about how to do life for him. And it's all right here. And in this, even though he's not physically present at this time, you can know him. Let the word of Christ dwell. Dwell, permeate, make its residence in. By the way, coming once a week to church just to hear God's word proclaimed, I'll just say, is not enough. That's not letting it dwell. It's just in it to be able to consume it so that you and I can get to know who Christ, who Godhead is. Let it govern. Let it be licensed in your life. And then third, let the name of Christ compel. Verse 17. Hey, friends, it's all about the name. It's all about the name. Isn't it interesting how people and what name they use when they're not happy? Why is it that people today don't go, oh, Buddha? Have you ever wondered that? Serious. Oh, Confucius. Christian? Christ one. It's all about the name. It's all about the name. It's because of the name. It's by the name. It's for the name. It's through the name. There is no other name like Jesus Christ. None. And that name, that conquering victorious name, is the name that moved me, that I trust has moved you from there to here. It's all about the name. It's all about the name. So, so let me take this layout of chapter 3 and bring in the things that it's talked about. Husbands, agape your wives. Why? It's hard to agape her. It's hard to love her with a sacrificial love all the time. Why should I do that? Answer, because in Christ, you have been given a new identity and a new position. And you have a new orientation. And that new orientation is summed up in this. Let that peace that you now have in relationship with God, let that peace rule in you. It's not about what you want. It's about what God wants. And and by the way, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? Agape your wives because that's what the word of Christ says. 
And, and, but, but I don't feel like it. No, no, you see, it's not about your name, husbands. It's about the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus has said, do that. And he's the one who's brought peace. He's the one who's given you a whole new life orientation. So do that. And then it's like, okay, okay. I got to put off loving me and I need to put on loving my wife. Okay, get at it. Wives, hupotasso, your husband, yield. Wives, you first to your husband. Why? Because you have been transferred from this to this. You have a new identity, a new position, a new orientation. That whole peace with Christ now is a relationship unlike any other relationship ever in all of eternity. And that peace that you have with Christ, let it rule. And when the peace of Christ is ruling in you, you want to know what he has to say. And so you go to his word and you find out, what does the word of Christ have to say? Well, the word of Christ has to say, wives, who potasso your husbands? But it's hard. (laughs) But I want it to be about me. No, no, no. But he has said that, and it's all about his name, not about your name. So I'm going to put off being about me. And I'm going to put on hupotassoing him. Children, obey your parents. Christ following teens, tweens. Obey your parents like in everything? Yeah, that's what it says. I'm not making it up. That's what it says. Why? Because you have a whole new identity and position in Christ and a new orientation. And that new orientation means that you have a peace relationship with God. The treaty that you have received of Jesus Christ's work has put you in a relationship where there is now peace, where there once was enmity with God. And that relationship that you are in in Jesus Christ, he says that you are to obey your parent or parents. Yeah, but that's hard, Pastor Doug. Yeah, I totally get it. Been a kid and it's hard. But know this, it's not about your name. It's about his name. And so put off being about you. Put on obeying your parents. And just by the way, just like I said the other day, you don't have to obey them for your entire life. Just know that. But in the time that you're under their authority, obey them. Parents, do you see how I can just keep going on? Parents, why should I raise my child to leave home equipped to handle life biblically? Because Christian parents, you have been transferred from here to here. You are now living in this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are now at peace in that. And so being at peace in that, you want to do what he wants to do. And the word of God tells you that you are to raise your child to leave home equipped to handle life biblically. Yeah, but that's hard. I get it. It is. But guess what? It's not about your name, parent. It's about Jesus' name. Okay, I'm going to get after it. Employee. Work hard for the Lord and for his reward. Why? Because you have been given a new identity and a new position. And that new identity and that new position has a new orientation to it. And that whole new orientation and peace relationship with God through the treaty work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection means now that he has redeemed you and placed you over here. And you now want to be able to honor him. And you want to know what he has to say. And the scriptures say, don't be lazy. The scripture says to work and to work hard. And in all of that, you, it's like, but, but it's hard. I get it. Uh, but it's all about his name. And so I'm going to be that. Masters, 
Treat your employees justly and fairly. Yeah, but I just want to kind of use them like a machine. And frankly, they're just here to crank me out. Man, I'm the, I'm the stud dude. I'm hiring them. They should be worshiping at my feet. Oh, okay, let me have a little reorientation for you. you. You have been made new in Christ. That's your identity. You have a new position and new orientation. And new orientation means that you are in peace with Christ. And that peace with Christ means that you want to be able to know how, how, how to be an employer that honors the Lord because it's all about his name, not your name. And so, okay, so I'm going to be an employer and a leader who is just and fair. Friends, I, I'm trying to beat this again and again for this purpose. Too many people have no idea how to live the Christian life. And Colossians chapter 3 sums it up. It's all right here on a tree. And if you and I were to do this every day, could you imagine how life would be different? If you and I were living out of our identity and our position, having a new orientation that comes across because of the peace of Christ, and I'm letting that rule And in the word of God and his life comes along, what does he have to say about it? And what he has to say about it, I do that because it's about his name. And therefore, I'm going to put off unchristlikeness and I'm going to put on Christlikeness. Could you imagine how life would change if that was every day, 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 every day until we stepped into eternity? That's the Christian life, friends. Now, you have one more little space, and I'm going to wrap it up with one word, a four-letter word, by the way, and here it is, home, home. In other words, what's your priority? What's the living at priority? Uh, An interesting thing I just need to quickly bring to your mind, that last paragraph where it talks about marriage, husbands, wives, parenting, children, dads, children, parents, and then this whole slave employee thing slave master, all of that was the the definition of the typical ancient home. Here's my point. Paul takes all of this instruction on new identity, new position, new orientation, let, 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 put off, put on. He takes all of that to one place initially in our home. Why? Because if we're not living it in our home, We're playing a game. And because it's hardest to live this in our home. You can come to church here and you can put on an act and a play for me, for others, for the Lord. But know this, your family really knows who you are. And you can con people here, you can con people at work, you can con people whatever. But you cannot con your family. They know you. And Paul is saying, listen here, friends, you need to know Jesus Christ supreme and you need to think Jesus Christ supreme and here's how you live Jesus Christ supreme and live it in your home. Take it there first. Put it into practice in your home because it's the hardest place to live it, but it's the most important place to live it. And every one of us in the room needs to grow and change in how we live Jesus in our home. Me too. Everyone in this room. So I say this as we finish it. What do you need to grow and change in? Chapter three lays out a whole bunch of aspects of it. 
What do you need to be growing and changing right now in your home? I want to challenge you, encourage you, and call you to take that thing to here and define it. I'm struggling with anger, Doug, okay? I just want to remind you, you have a new identity and a new position in Christ. And that means a new orientation. A new orientation is not anger. Uh, But let me, by the way, you angry person, you have peace with the Godhead. If the Godhead could have peace with you, you, does that not give you hope that you might be able to be a peacemaker as opposed to an angry giver? And by the way, that's what the word of God says. James chapter four, verse one. Why are there quarrels and fights among you? Is it not because of what's happening in your heart? You want what you want, but you can't get it, so you lash out. Where's the peace in that? Listen, the word of God calls you not to be a peace, not to be an angry person, but to be a peacemaker. And it's all about his name. So put off anger, put on peace. Let's get after those kinds of things. Let's get after those kinds of things. That's the Christian life. Lord, thank you so much just for the time together and the time to walk through this passage and to spend time in it. And Lord, I have to tell you, this chapter has been a huge help for me personally. Over these last few months, you've been pressing into me personally big time. Some areas that I need to change in my life. Some attitudes that I need to change. And Lord, I thank you for that. It's hard, but I thank you for it. Father, I just pray for us as individuals. I pray for your children in this room. I pray for this church that we would be a church that understands we are all growing and changing. We are all working on this tree reality. New identity, new position, new orientation. From enemy to being at peace with you. May we let that rule. Lord God, may we let your word dwell in us. Just dwell in us. When things are coming up, ask, what does your word say? What does your word say? Lord, in it, may we apply your name and not ours. May your name compel us. And may that thrust us into the reality of the circumstances in life that come come along with our spouse, with our roommate, with our children, with our parent or parents. God, may we be putting this to play at home before anywhere else. May we live our new identity and new position so that it's seen before the world. For the fame of your name, we do it all. We lay ourselves before you, Lord. Help us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.